recorded a, a podcast for three other people yesterday. It was an interesting experience because I've never done that. Never done a podcast with one other person, let alone three. But it's for a Mafia History podcast a few of us have been talking about doing for a while. You know, I think it came out all right. Uh, you know, this isn't just going to be a diary entry about doing another podcast, but it's a new project. You know, I just kind of have to be there. Somebody else is handling it. You know, that first one, it's very hard. It's very difficult to know what to talk about or say. It's evident that, you know, some people are more comfortable just kind of riffing and going off. And, you know, it got me thinking about <laughs> sports announcers. Because, you know, it's so difficult to actually be able to fill time. You know, it's very difficult to be able just to sit and talk, especially knowing you're being recorded. You know, it's one thing if it's a conversation, but when you know something is being recorded, it just changes things. Like yesterday with this group podcast, you know, it was different than a phone call that all of us have been on many times. It was different than a conference call. You know, because you know it's recording, you know, we were doing it through Zoom, so we don't normally see each other, so we, there was video, there was a video component. Uh, so, you know, it just, it changes the dynamic a bit, I think in a good way, in some, you know, to some degree, like as much as I would love just to be able to record phone calls and, and that type of thing, I think knowing that it's a performance in a way isn't a bad thing, you know, it can make you... Um, I don't know. It's just like adding a new element to things. But it's, it is so difficult to fill space. And, you know, I've, I somehow do it on here, whether it's worthwhile space, like whether it's quality space, somebody else can decide. But, you know, it, it is, as I, as I lose my train of thought, but like, no, it, it is an interesting thing that you get better at with time if you get used to doing it which is just learning how to fill space. And it's easier if you're commenting on something. Like, I'm not surprised that a lot of live streamers, a lot of, uh, you know, like some of these Twitch people, whatever it is, they, they'll watch movies with people and comment on them. Because that's easier to do. Like, it's much easier to fill space if you're, like, looking at something and commenting on it. Or obviously with these live streamers, it's like they have a Q&A. People are asking questions. There's engagement. And, uh, you know, with, with sports announcers, this is always interesting to me because people don't understand what it is they do. Like back when I used to read what people said about, you know, I used to read like NFL boards and, you know, just NFL comments and things like that. And people are always so angry at the announcers. So many people hate Joe Buck. They hate him. They they end up like loving some guys, but usually hating them. And they think these guys are terrible at their jobs when it's like they're not there to be that interesting. And there's very few people who can do what they do. Because I mean, you figure these, these announcers and commentators in NFL games, they're sitting there for like easily three hours, you know, because they do the pregame, they do halftime and stuff like that, you know. So they're easily talking for three hours straight, aside from commercials. And they have to be able to be interesting enough to where if somebody does pay attention to what they're saying, they're going to get something out of it. But they don't have to say anything that interesting, but it has to be inoffensive. They can't stutter through things. 
they have to just be able to throw things out constantly. And it helps that it helps that they're watching a game, but at the same time, it's improv. Like they're constantly having to check the roster sheet. You know, they have somebody in their ear, you know, they, they have mic or uh, they have earpieces where somebody's like telling them what to say sometimes, like who a certain player was. But it's like they have to be very sharp and observant. They have to know exactly what's going on at any given time. And so, so they're improvising, but it's like they have to make some level of sense when they do it. And I noticed that fans, they, they just I don't think they understand what, what it is those guys do. They're in a very unique position because there's not that many people who know football well enough to comment on it just continuously like that in a way that makes any level of sense. And there's almost nobody who can fill space that way. And you see when somebody can't do it because, you know, if you watch the NFL, like sometimes they'll get a new announcer. It's a former player, let's say. And it's like, oh, this guy used to be an NFL player. Of course, he's going to be able to talk about football for three hours. But he gets on and he just doesn't have it. Like he doesn't know how to fill that space. He doesn't know how to do it. And, you know, the reason they have these duos, I mean, of course, they have to have more than one person. But one of the reasons they have these duos is, you know, they have like the color commentary and then they have like the guy who just lays it out, like the play-by-play facts. And it, it is kind of like a good cop, bad cop thing because like the one guy just keeps it straight. He's usually the guy who like went into broadcasting. He's not the former player who knows where these guys come from. It's like they went to broadcasting school or something like that. And then they're usually paired with a former player or somebody, a former coach. And that guy can kind of go off and riff, whereas like the play-by-play guy is just like, this is what we're seeing. Oh, it, it, it's his mother's birthday today, and she died five years ago, so he's wearing you know pink socks to commemorate that. You know, the, the sort of guy who goes off about that stuff. But uh, you know, and they have to have chemistry too. I mean, that you know, a lot of people complain about like Joe Buck and Troy Aikman, but it's like they keep them together because they can keep it going really well. You know, they they just keep it going, and like you can also tune them out. And and with these announcers, like you don't want their voices to be so interesting and unique that they distract you, but you also can't have them be so boring that they you just tune it out and fall asleep. It's I don't know. I've just always found it interesting because people kind of misunderstand what that job is, what that guy's supposed to do. And they come down really hard, hard on those guys. And it's like, they're not chosen to be entertaining. Every once in a while they luck out and they get somebody like Tony Romo, who's a former player. He's funny. And he's also really good at breaking down the game. He's really good at like breaking down, like why they ran a certain play a certain way. And that guy's rare. You know, not even Troy Aikman really does that very well. But it, I don't know. It, it is kind of that midwit thing. You know, I, I keep bringing this up. I don't talk about memes, but I do like that midwit meme where it's, you know, the dumb guy is saying just something simple. This smart mage-like guy in a cloak is saying something simple. And it's the same thing the dumb guy's saying. And then there's a guy in between who's like frustrated. And he and it's like a paragraph of just shit of this guy spinning his wheels. And that's so perfect. You know, yeah, not that the smart person always thinks the same thing the dumb person does. And it's not even about smart or dumb. It's just like, here's this enlightened person, this wizard, who thinks the same thing the Neanderthal thinks. And then in the middle, there's this bespectacled, frustrated nerd just going off about it. 
And it, it, I like it because it plays into like what I what I've learned myself, which is that like so much of the angst around us comes from fucking people of average intelligence. And I can say that about people who of average intelligence because I have average intelligence. But I'm learning not to just struggle with it like that because that's what you're seeing. You're seeing somebody of average intelligence just struggling with that reality. And it applies here because, like, these people who are like, oh, my God, did you hear what Joe Buck said? Can you believe Joe Buck said that? Didn't even make any sense. Oh, man, like, these these commentators are so boring and blah, blah, you know. And uh, that's the midwit. That's the person who who's of average intelligence, who thinks they're really smart, who's like, oh, these commentators, like, they suck at talking about football. Uh, they, they just they totally misunderstand what that job even is. Whereas like the Neanderthal and the the enlightened person are both like, this guy's good at what he does. Announcer is good at what he does. Like there's nothing more to it. You know, it doesn't mean you, you don't like some people more than others, but even me saying that is like getting into midwit territory. But like the midwit is the one who's like, oh, did you hear Joe Bug? He said this and he got it wrong. And like, oh man, like, uh, you know, Troy Aikman, uh, you know, for a former player, like he doesn't know how to break down plays at all. But, you know, just going into this overcomplicated critique of something that isn't even meant to be the focus. Like you should be watching the game. Like if you're a football fan, I guess that's the thing for me. It's like I've never been distracted by the announcers unless they're really, really bad. But even then, I can't even think of an example. But like I'm never distracted by the announcers because like I'm watching the game. Like that's that's what you're doing. Like I'm watching the game. Like, yeah, I can hear the announcers. Yeah, like sometimes I tune into what they're saying if it's relevant, like if a player's injured or they're saying something that's relevant to the game. But for the most part, like I'm not sitting there listening to them. They're just there. It's just ambient. And the idea is to have people who can just do that for three hours. And there's not very many of them. There's truly not that many people who are passionate about football, can do it every single week, who know enough about football, who keep up to date on it and have that ability to talk. So it's just they have an ambient role as far as I'm concerned. They got an ambient role. You ever heard of these guys? They got an ambient role. Um, but it's it's a very midwit average intelligence response to like dissect what the announcers say and have an opinion. Like people have a favorite announcer. Like, yeah, Tony Romo's great. Like when you hear a guy who's really good at it and new to it, it's refreshing and you and you're like cool, but it's not that you really have favorites or any, any weird shit like that. Um, but yeah, just being able to fill space. Just being able to fill space. Destruction of the empty spaces is my one and only crime. Uh, that yeah, the average intelligence thing, you know, just so often you see... People, you see midwits posturing. You know, that's so much of what you see now. It's just like, you'll notice that every single argument they ever have is framed around, like, calling the other person dumb in any number of ways because the implication is that, like, oh, I'm smart. You realize, like, so much of what they say is just, like, a, a coded 
way of communicating. I'm smart. Did you know I'm smart? Did you know I'm smart? Like, it's almost sad. I don't even say this in a mean way. It's almost sad. It's like somebody who never really got their intelligence acknowledged. And they, they grew up in this school system and just this, they grew up around this idea that like being quote unquote smart is really important. And what people of average intelligence are good at is they're good at like taking a system that already exists and becoming very adept at it. They're not very good at creating new systems or thinking outside of the system as it is. You know, it's why they gravitate towards science because the way the current, you know, the way the scientific process is set up in institutions is very contained. You know, it has a, a relatively limited framework that it's working from, like pers- <coughs> a limited perspective. But there are these really cool systems for figuring things out. And these people of average intelligence get really good at those systems. And so in that context, they're really smart. They're really good at that system. But anything outside of that system, they struggle with, often angrily. They're often angry at anything outside of that. They, they feel like it's a threat to the system that they use that they're really good at. And they're taught about it, but it's like they very rarely innovate. They're very much stuck in this one way of seeing things. But again, they're really good at that. Like when they focus on that, they're really good at it. Uh, with subjects that, um, you know, fit within the whatever system they're in, they learn a lot about them. You know, they're not stupid. Midwits aren't stupid. I mean, that's the whole thing. Uh, I'm not trying to make people of average intelligence sound stupid because we are not. Those of us with average intelligence aren't stupid. That's the whole problem. If we were stupid, we'd have much simpler thoughts that would end up mirroring the enlightened person's thoughts. <laughs> the whole problem is that in, <laughs> the whole problem with average intelligence is it's not stupid. And because it's not stupid, it comes up with just these exotic explanations for everything. It doesn't describe, you know, I've, ta- I've been talking about this for years, like aim to describe rather than explain. Like the Sun City Girls said, you know, explanations only come from liars. A description will do. One of the best lyrics ever. I'm not even a huge Sun City Girls guy. That's a really good album, but I'm not a, I'm not a big Sun City Girls guy in general. That's a fucking amazing lyric. Explanations only come from liars. A description will do. It's the truth. And ever since I, I really took that to heart one day. I mean, it, not that I didn't, you know, there were similar ideas like swimming around. It's not like I learned that from the Sun City Girls, but that really just summed it up perfectly. And when you do start to, to think of, the, of things in that terms, like when you listen to what somebody's saying, pay attention to whether they're explaining or describing. And you'll find that a lot of people are explaining all the fucking time. And that's a midwit behavior. That's what someone of average intelligence does. Because someone of average intelligence is so afraid that someone will think they're stupid. And maybe even more than that, 
they're so scared that somebody will realize they have average intelligence, which they do, that they think their their only way around that is to explain things in such a way that people think they're smart. Maybe I'm doing it right now. But they think that an explanation will tell people, like, I'm smart. They don't describe, though, because descriptions are often fairly short. A description is often very simple. This is what I see. It's an observation. But we see a lot of explanations, like, oh, it's this way because of this. I mean, you even see people do it with their feelings. Their good old feelings. They say, uh, they offer explanations for why they feel the way they do. And if you notice, sometimes when someone tries to explain to you why they feel the way you do, it sounds like bullshit. sounds like they're lying, because it's an explanation. When someone just describes it, you go, okay. They described how they feel. But when they explain it, it's, it's a little weird. And that's like Psych 101 crap. What I'm saying right here is Psych 101, psych 101 crap. Psych 101 crap. It is, though. It's like the idea that when someone's explaining their feelings, that's when they start, quote-unquote, projecting. That's when they start coming up with, you know, alternative theories. And, you know, they, they start delving into fiction. It's when they start explaining why they feel the way they do. They're very rarely honest when they do that. But when, when somebody simply describes it, you go, well, I have no reason to not believe them. If he says he's mad, you know, who am I to say otherwise? But uh, just, just if you pay attention, like watch for the explanations. And of course, you have to do some explaining. I mean, a good example of this to me is like artist statements. Like, I like a good manifesto. I like a good rant. I like to hear what artists have to say in writing sometimes. But like the artist statement that goes along with a painting or, or a an exhibit, it always just sounds like such bullshit. And this is kind of like an old man point or something, but it's it, it's worth saying again and again. I knew this girl who was an artist, known many, but I knew one in particular here in town. She was very talented. Like her art was really impressive. I didn't know her that well, but like her art was very impressive. She was really good at what she did. But like I saw this artist statement she put with like a series of paintings or something. Series of paintings. And I was just like, what the fuck does that even mean? Like, I just didn't even know what that... And then I... I it was the first time I ever, like, thought about an artist statement like that. And I was just like, what the fuck does that even mean? Like, it's an explanation for, like, why she made these paintings. But it's trapped in such a weird little feedback loop of people. Like, I'm sure this makes sense to them. But I, I just don't, as an artist myself, like, I don't understand how you could think that while you're making that. Maybe someone would feel that way about the way, like, I, you know, think about my art or something, and they're more than welcome to. But I just, I remember thinking, like, like same with other people I know, like, same with other artists I know, like, we don't think that way, but, like, 
I don't even think this poor girl thought that way. I think it was just she was doing a, like a gallery exhibit and thought like, oh, I have to make an artist statement. They ask you for one. And so you threw out this like airy, it, it was just, it was so like ethereal in the worst possible way, just like ethereal language. And then that was the first time I ever thought about artist statements where I was like, oh yeah, like artist statements have their own language. They have their own kind of lexicon. And they all sound like bullshit explanations for why this person did what they did. And it feels like they were obligated to write it. Like they felt some sort of obligation. And since I noticed that, like then I started to pay attention to artist statements. And I realized they were all like that, most of them. And I was like, oh, this is starting to make sense. This is starting to make sense. <laughs> this is just bullshit. Like this is just, this, they're just lying. They're just like, they're, they're trying to explain something, but nobody knows what they're explaining because it's just, it's like, it's just a lie built on a lie. Artists do a lot of that. They don't get held accountable for it. As an artist, I know. Uh, there's a lot of artists who, who do, who don't do that. But the ones who do, like, they don't get held accountable, not nearly enough. <laughs> it's not my job it's not my job to hold them accountable either but like there's this whole side of things there's this whole like language i mean it's not that far off from the language you see this like diversity equity and inclusion language where it's like they hit on certain keywords but it's this very ethereal language i'm going to go back to that ethereal language it's like it's just this it's like wisps of air coming out of someone's mouth and you have no idea what it actually means. There's nothing concrete. It's abstract and not in a good way, not in a way that's actually imaginative. It's using abstract shapes created by someone else. I mean, you see it with some of the keywords in this DEI stuff. You know, it, and it communicates that like I understand the language I'm supposed to speak here even though that language communicates nothing. Nothing, nothing. Communicates nothing. That's what you see in these, you know, these statements, these corporate statements people make, these statements that universities make, the sort of essays that people write. They're just ethereal. They communicate absolutely nothing. And that's what artist uh, statements are like too. They might as well be the same thing to me. They have a very similar tone. And it's an academic tone, too. Like, thinking about artist statements, it shows that somebody went to art school or something. Or they're trying to be like somebody who went to art school. Manifesto, fine. I've done plenty of that. I've written manifestos to go along with my art, both published and unpublished. Because you do feel something. You do feel fired up. But it's not an explanation. Manifesto is not an explanation. It's a description. That's why they're so cutting, like good and bad. You know, there's good manifestos and bad manifestos, but it's a description. They're very, I mean, that's the thing I like about manifestos. It's the thing I like about manifestos is they're, they're very descriptive. Like if you read, <laughs> I mean, obviously the most famous one is uh, Ted Kaczynski's. And uh, it's very descriptive though. Like you read that and it doesn't seem like a lie. Like it doesn't, you don't read through it and go, well, that's a lie. That's a bunch of bullshit. It, it's nothing like a DEI statement. 
where it's just these like new words and these abstractions. Like it's, it's very good, like just bare bones writing. Like it really comes across like a guy who's just sitting at his typewriter. You know, it's mechanical, but it's like, he's just sitting there and like, he makes, he, you know, what, what I have to say about the Unabomber manifesto is he was making sure that everybody would understand what he was saying. Like you didn't have to be in some secret club. Like the average adult human could read Ted Kaczynski's manifesto and go, I get the points he's making. Oh, I understand the examples he's using. Whether you agree or not, I happen to agree with some of it. Not all of it, but certainly some of it. And, you know, I read it, I read some of it on here, actually. I forgot about that. I think it was last year I, I read some of the Unabomber Manifesto and offered some commentary. In particular, you know, his critique of leftism because it was so accurate. He, he predicted what was going to happen because he already saw the behavior then. And it was the same behavior we have now, just applied in different ways. How's that for an explanation? But uh, I did, I read some of it on here, but, you know, it's very descriptive, I, I have to say. He's describing problems. He's describing what he's seen. You know, it's, it's, it, it doesn't come across like bullshit. You can say that he was coming from the wrong place, and maybe you should say that, but it, it doesn't come across like he's lying at any point. It's an honest reaction. But uh, explanation versus description. Like once you have that idea in your head, you'll notice, oh, they're explaining. You'll notice that politicians do that almost exclusively. Of course they do. And there's, I mean, it's one of the reasons why I'm resistant to this therapeutic culture we're in. There's a lot of explanations and some of them come across just like magic spells. Like some of the things that somebody's therapist tells them just sound like a magic spell they invented that will have the desired effect. Like, oh, if, if I tell them that this is the explanation for like why they do that certain thing, that will trick them into believing it. And therefore, like, it'll be easier to resolve. Like, I'm just throwing that out there randomly. But still, I feel like that's kind of what it is. It's like it's like putting these ideas in people's heads that are kind of like it's like casting a spell over them and being like, oh, this explanation will make sense. And through that explanation, you know, we'll get to some kind of resolution or make some kind of progress. But you can see the explanations people come up with. You can see like the stories people come up with because that's what an explanation is. It's a story. Usually it's something somebody just made up. And I, I see the impact that, like, TV... I mean, maybe people do this naturally. I'm, I'm willing to bet that people do this naturally, kind of in any circumstance. But I noticed, like, the effect that, like, TV and movies among my generation had. Where, like, I have certain friends who are very smart people. Like, I would say they're average intelligence. They're on the smarter end of average intelligence. But I noticed that, like, with real life, they they tend to look at it like the same way they would a movie or story in the sense that like everything has some kind of like direct causation. And like thinking about a friend of mine who's actually a psychologist, who's a very intelligent person. 
but I, I noticed like he kind of throughout life like kind of saw certain things in life as, as sort of like the sim a similar sort of cause and effect that you would see for like a movie pre-write. This is the first time I've thought about this in a long time, but at some point in school, like like elementary school or junior high, as like a fun little little classroom activity, they would have us like write out like a pre-write for a movie script, and we would have to write like cause and effect like i don't even know if it was for a movie it might have been for like a just a book like if they were having us do some sort of creative writing exercise they would like one of the first things they would have us do is like come up with a basic plot and then we would have to come up with a cause and effect like oh like uh jim and his mom are living in a shack and the landlord says they have to move out so Jim goes on an adventure and, you know, to save his mom, you know, whatever the fuck it is, whatever the fuck it is, just cause and effect. But I noticed that like certain people really took that to heart and like started to see life that way, where it was like every single thing that happens has a clear explanation, not a meaning, but an explanation, like some, like as if it's like some sort of direct cause and effect. And I don't know. I mean, I, I think to some people it makes life interesting, but it's like they, they kind of tend to look at things and be like, oh, that happened because of this. And I'm all about like things happening for a reason, like I said. They almost see it like like it's a movie script or something. Um, I don't know. And I don't know how much that comes from like growing up on movies versus just like is that what the human brain does like is the reason is the reason that we make movies that way a symptom of the way we think i mean i, I would say the answer is obviously yes like we're constantly coming up with like cause and effect to the point where like we look back at primitive people who are like oh we found that like if we do we did this dance one time and then the rain came the next day after a drought so now we just do that dance. And I mean, animals do that. Like I've learned that about Batty where, I mean, it's just basic psychology of any living creature where you ask him to sit and then you reward him with something. I'm not going to say it out loud because he'll know what I'm talking about and think he's getting, he's going to think he's going to get one, but it starts with a T and it ends with a T. And the other letters are R-E-A, so in between the T's right there. But, uh, you know, it's like him. Like, he knows that if that happens, like, a couple times, like, if I want him to do something and afterward he gets one of those things with the T, then he does it again and he gets that. He knows that that's the result. There's a cause and effect there. And, like, we operate the same way. You know, if something works for us once, we do it again, but... We get very supernatural about it. Doing a rain dance. Oh, we we did this. Our tribe did this dance once when there was a drought, and then it rained that night. So we do that dance. We do the rain dance every time. You know, we do that in our personal lives. I mean, you see men who like some sort of pickup technique happened once where they were able to pick up a woman, and so they just try to do that from now on. 
I mean, it's like it's like a monkey see, monkey do thing. Um, I mean, like, I mean, uh, you just you see where like one of the reasons why people try to dress like popular people is because they think that's the trick. They think that's the magic trick. Like when someone's like, "Oh, the jock, the popular, the popular boy." The popular boy bleached his hair and he spiked it up and he's wearing a puka shell necklace. I'm going to do that too because that's the, that's the trick. That's just the trick. You see people do that though. It's like, oh, yeah, the popular boy bleached his hair, spiked it up, and he's got a puka shell necklace. And You do that and it, it, it has no impact. The girls don't care. You're not more popular. You saw a cause and effect that, that wasn't there. Like you thought that like by doing that, 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 that made that guy more popular when he was just charismatic and it just helped that he's, he's fashionable or something. The cause and the effect are the exact same thing in that instance. But there's a lot of that monkey see, monkey do. Like, oh, he did that. He did that. Oh, they got girls. He did that and it got girls. I'm going to do that. And there's, there's got to be no worse feeling than like trying to do something just because you think it'll attract girls and you don't get any. That's got to be the, one of the worst feelings. You did something emasculating. You did something silly. Oh, I think this will get me girls. Because, I mean, that's already enough of a sacrifice. Like, I'm going to do this thing because it'll help me get women. You know, everybody does little things like that, but like men who do that just as like a men who do that with any regularity, who like change their fashion because they think that will appeal to women. I just don't have much respect for it. And I don't think women do either. But people think there's this cause and effect. If I do this, It'll attract this. If I do this, it'll get that result. Maybe sometimes it does. Once in a, once in a while, there's a coincidence, like doing the rain dance and getting rain. And, and of course, like I believe in all kinds of supernatural shit, or as I call it, natural shit. It's just plain old natural to me. But still, uh, you know, I believe in some some wild stuff. I believe in like serendipity, synchronicity. You know, I believe in all kinds of things lining up and. I'm obviously a faithful person, but this is this sort of uh, like what I'm talking about is act is real pseudoscience. That's a word that I won't utter much because it's been so abused in recent years. But that's kind of true pseudoscience is like thinking like, oh, there's a cause and effect here, so they must be related, and trying to game that. And seeing your life that way. Oh, this this happened. Like explaining your way away. Expl explaining your explaining your way away. It made sense in my head for a second. I don't know if it actually does. It sounds stupid. Explaining your way away. Explaining your way away. It makes sense to me. I, I hope that makes sense. It makes sense to me. But yeah, you know, you can just, you can explain, you can spend your whole life explaining your life. And a lot of people do that. Because they almost feel like they're in court all the time. This is something I've learned about people. They go around like they're on trial, like they're testifying. 
They think that's what people want from them. Like, have you ever had an interaction with somebody where, I don't know who I'm talking to, but have you? Have you ever had an interaction with somebody where you realize quickly they're kind of awkward and they're, they're kind of misspeaking, like they might stutter over a word or say something wrong, but it's just endearing. Like, you don't think, you're so stupid, oh my god, you, you don't even, you can't, you can't even get a word out. I don't even understand what you're saying. Some people like will give someone shit. Like they're like weak sharks seizing on just the smallest amount of blood. But I know for me, like if I'm talking to somebody who doesn't have full confidence, I don't think any worse of them. It's almost like a relief. But you can tell like that person who's in that situation, like they almost feel like they're under oath. Like someone who's very anxious and shy they often feel like they're under oath having to testify every, and they're being judged, like they're on trial or something too. That's why they're so scared. And you know, things didn't even used to be the way they are now where like someone could be recording you. Someone could like immediately text their friend after you say something and be like, I'm talking to this guy and he just said something so stupid. You know, it's like, like there's way more ways to like catalog things now. But still, like, there's a lot of people who they're just terrified to talk to anybody because they're just like, you know, I'm on trial. I will be judged for the smallest thing. And you know the things that you beat yourself up about. Like, I think, like, when I mispronounce a word or say something wrong or get the definition of a word wrong or just don't express myself clearly. And if I, like, when I play that back to myself, I'm like, oh, you you fucking idiot. Oh my God, you fucking idiot. You know, it's like you have that natural reaction. Like you're so hard on yourself. You're so hard on yourself. And a lot of people are that way. And like, that's how like really shy people or, or, you know, anxious people are. Like I, I'm not particularly shy or socially anxious at this point, but it's just, uh, you know, I know what that feeling is. Like, I know that's what those people are experiencing. Like, they think that somebody else is going to, like, prey upon them. You know, they, they, they think that it's just like, oh, somebody's going to seize the opportunity if I say something dumb or I don't say something right. And the people who would seize on that opportunity are of, of totally average intelligence. Those are the people who do that. Like, the people who, who like, if you, if you use a word wrong or you mispronounce something... The people who seize on that, like those are midwits. And the reason they're seizing on it is because they're spending their entire life trying to prove that they're smart or at least not stupid. And so when you say something wrong, they jump on that. They're the sort of person who says like, I'm well, not good. The sort of person who cares about that. I'm doing well. I'm doing good. And some people don't even mean it in an asshole sort of way. Good has become proper as far as I'm concerned. If we're willing to let all this other bullshit crowd into our language today, saying I'm good in response to how are you doing, that is fucking formal now. And I'll dig your eyes out if you say otherwise. Based on the bullshit that we've done to our language, I, I feel very passionate about this. Based on all the bullshit we've done to our language the last few years, 
if anybody gives a fuck about somebody saying good instead of well, let the crows just peck their eyes out. Doesn't even have to be crows. Could be any bird. Doesn't even have to be crows. Could be any bird. Any bird. Just any old bird. <laughs> Seriously, though. And, like, sometimes, though, it's like I don't I don't assume ill intent, though. This is why I'm not a, a total psycho. I'm not a total psychopath because sometimes I'll be at the grocery store and the cashier come. The cashier's like, hey, how are you doing? And I'll say, oh, I'm good. And I say, how are you? And they say, doing well. I don't take offense to that. Like, I don't, I don't assume that they're correcting me. And I think it's totally cool to say I'm doing well. Like, there's no problem. And, and you know, honestly, I think one of the reasons why it's good that people like me say I'm good is because it's, it's, it makes for like a more, uh, it makes for a better sounding conversation. Like, think about it this way. Like, if you were to, if, if the cashier were to say to you, hey, how are you doing? You say, oh, I'm doing well. And you say, how are you doing? And they say, I'm doing well, too. Or I'm doing well. If you both say, I'm doing well, you sound like, you sound gay. You sound gay. You sound weird. You sound weird and you sound gay. You do, though. You kind of sound weird. It doesn't make for a good conversation. It makes, it's, it's kind of a bluntness to that. Oh, hey, how are you doing? Oh, I'm doing well. How are you doing? Oh, I'm doing well. What are you, robots? Hey, how are you doing? Oh, I'm doing good. How are you doing? Oh, I'm doing well. It's better if you say different things, different variations. You know, it makes for a better sounding conversation. Even if that's the whole conversation, it's that still counts. Still counts as a conversation to me. But people who correct it. So, like, I don't, I don't give a shit if somebody says I'm doing well and I say I'm doing good, it's those those midwits who try to correct you. And to be honest, they don't do it a lot. But there are those people, like, they're, they're actually the perfect example of people who were taught this system, which is the English language, and they're really good at it. Like, they really get it. They really understand the mechanics of the English language. But that's it. Like, they don't innovate language. They don't have an interesting take on language. They're just really good at what they were taught about the English language, and they probably have a natural disposition for it. It's probably genetic. I mean, I, I know writing is genetic. I know language is genetic. You know, my mom was a good example of that, where she was very good at writing. She was amazing at the English language. Just amazing. But she grew up very poor, very uneducated background. But her biological father, who she never met, he was a journalist. He was a very skilled writer. He was an editorialist. Nobody else in my mom's family was skilled with English, like they were borderline illiterate. But there was something genetic there where like she never knew her father, but like she got that trait from him, just an ability to write. And, uh, you know, but some people like, for some people though, they're just really good at learning that system and nothing more. They don't do anything interesting with the English language. They're afraid to test the boundaries of it. They're the sort of people who will put a lot of heat on you for talking like a valley girl, which I do. I mean, sometimes it's difficult for me to, I don't listen back to these shows anymore.
I stopped doing that for the most part. Unless I really got myself laughing. Unless it's one of those where I just cracked myself up over something stupid. I don't usually want to hear these ever again. But it used to be a lot of trouble listening back because sometimes I'll listen and I'm like, I say like so many times. I sound like a valley girl. And there's some people who put a lot of heat on you. They really turn up the heat on you for t- like, oh, why do you say like so much? Because I'm a valley girl. You know, that's those those people though. Like, they're the people I'm talking about lately. Well, I don't know if there's a solution other than just slapping them, just giving them a crack. That's where maybe like being enlightened is the same thing as being a Neanderthal. Where like I see these midwit takes that people have. And how much of it is aggressive and mean. That's become one of the hallmarks of the midwit. That's become one of the, the go-to moves of the, the person of average intelligence. Is how mean they are. They're so insecure that they're so mean to, to, on a personal level. Like they'll try to make you feel stupid in a conversation. Because they, they're so desperate to feel smarter than that. They're so desperate to not be dumb. And their desperation to not be dumb often manifests in the form of trying to make other people feel dumb. As if that trick would work on a lot of us. Hey man, we know better. We're just like you. We're just like you. Average intelligence and it tortures you. You haven't accepted it. You haven't accepted it. It tortures you. You're tormented by your average intelligence. That's why you're so mean. And uh, <laughs> it's funny, though. It's funny to watch it. And like, but more and more, I've, I've just kind of thought, like, oh yeah, this is why bullying exists. This is why fighting exists. Because you know, I wander into the comment sections, and to be fair, like, I haven't meditated. I meditated like once in the last month and a half. I'm just taking a real break from it. I don't even feel guilt. Why would I feel guilty about that? But maybe me not meditating lately is giving me these fantasies of like watching a midwit explain his way into a fucking maze. And I just think, oh yeah, the only way to get him out of this is just a crack. Just a crack on the face. Not a punch. What I call a crack. More like, a, it's like, like an open-handed slap. Just a crack. Just get you with, just hit you with a crack. Give him a crack. Because I'm just like, what else? How else do you get people out of this? How else do you break the spell? Like, I'm not actually saying hit people. I'm just throwing this out there. Like, because I've reached a point where I'm like, nothing seems to be stopping this. It's like this snowball of average intelligence. It's like an army of people with average intelligence just snowballing bigger and bigger. And they're all in it. They're all so unhappy. They're the same sort of people who are like, oh, the reason I'm depressed is because I'm smart. Oh, it sucks so much to be smart enough to be depressed. They're the people who like think that their you know, ill disposition comes from their intelligence or something. They, they, you know, they think that it's their virtue that has made life hard. And it's like, you know, your virtues are your response to the things that are hard about life. You know, it's it, like your virtue didn't make life harder. 
they have like some sort of like Socrates fantasy, even though I think these people hate Socrates by now. It's this sort of like Socrates fantasy where it's like, oh, they're sacrificing me for my intelligence. They're sacrificing me because I'm just too smart. It's like, it's Galileo. I'm just like Galileo. I'm just like Galileo. I'm just like Galileo. Uh, just like Galilei. <laughs> I'm just like Galilei. Galilei, Galilei. Yeah, baby, just Galilei, Galilei. <laughs> but uh, they, they all think they're Galileo or something. They're, they're just like, oh, man, like... The world just makes smart people like me unhappy. It really sucks to be smart because that just means you get you depressed. Oh, you know, here's the reasons why I'm depressed. Like, ever notice how many depressed people love to explain it away? You know, somebody's truly depressed when they're not even trying to say anything about it. It's just, you're just like, oh yeah, they're depressed. They're not trying to rationalize it. They're not trying to explain it. But it's it's such an audacious way of thinking too, you know. <laughs> you know, like <laughs> it's my virtues that make life hard on me. Oh, my virtues are the reason everybody hates me. And it's like no, your virtues come from like how you respond to the things that are hard. They don't create the hard things. At least that's how I see it. And you're not behaving very virtuously. If intelligence is virtue, you're not behaving very virtuously. And I mean, intelligence, you know, my understanding of people who are truly smart, who are truly in their own category, is they're often burdened by it. And they, they have no pride in it. They might have pride in the things they create as a result of it. But they don't have pride in the intelligence itself. Like, they're so far beyond that. Because the way people of average intelligence act is as if they're like a millimeter below superior intelligence. They're like, oh, I, I'm just like one put down away from getting myself up there. They think if they put down enough people, they'll climb up and they'll be officially smart. Oh, I'm just a millimeter away. I just need to, you know assert myself over these dumb people just one more time and I need to tell somebody they're stupid just one more time I need to I need to read a, a, a Wikipedia article about science one more time because they you'll notice that like a lot of what they do is they try to um, they try to communicate their intelligence in a bunch of masked ma masked ways mashed <laughs> in, a, in a bunch of mashed ways yeah. <laughs> In a bunch of masked ways, M-A-S-K, like where it's like, oh, I'm really into science. I'm really into math. Yeah, some people are really into those things. I'm not saying everybody who's into those things is a midwit. But the midwit, like they, they wear it like an interest. I'm really into science and I'm really into math. I'm really into science and I'm really into math. Oh, STEM is just so interesting, you know, like, you know, it's, they make that sort of like this interest, like they read interesting articles about it, but they don't make any meaningful contributions to it. But they take on interests that communicate to other people, oh, 
he's smart. Oh, because when you when you hear that somebody is into science or math, you say, must be smart. Hey, I, I got this kid, man. I don't I don't even know how the, where this kid came from. He's my son, but I don't I don't even know who raised this kid. He's into science and he's into maths. He's so he's this kid's smart. This kid's like a genie. This kid's like a genius. This kid's like a genie genius. This kid's like a you know. It's just that sort of way of thinking where it's like, oh, if they're into science and math, they they have to be smart because only smart people are interested in science and math. And my joke on that is like some just somebody with no brain just reading a book that's like one plus one, two plus two. You know, I like math. I like math. One plus one, two, you know, just that's, that's, I mean, to me, that's as being as interested in math as anything else. You know, just because you're into calculus and that person's still on one plus one, you're both equally passionate about math. Equally passionate about math. But there are certain interests and like sometimes people do take them on because it makes them seem smart. It's like glasses or something. All you have to do is is meet one idiot with glasses, of which there are many, to quickly realize that, oh yeah, having glasses doesn't make you smart. But we still have those ideas about people. Oh, if somebody has glasses, which is a really weird uh, trope, I guess you'd call it. Like, thinking about that now, even I still feel that way. Like when I see somebody with glasses, even today, I have a tendency to think like smart, smart. Why is that though? I mean, what is it about glasses? I guess we associate them with reading, but still like that, that got associated with nerds and smart people a long time ago. And I mean, it's not like glasses have been around that long. Like how, how long have glasses even been around? I guess they had like bifocals, spectacles, like they've had them, but at some point though, we started to associate glasses with smart people. I guess they would have been associated with the wealthy because the wealthy would have been the first people who got them. So maybe like we, we associated like wealth and education. Look, guess what? I'm, I'm doing midwit shit right here. This is midwit stuff. I'm trying to come up with an explanation for like why we associate glasses with nerds and smart people. When the true answer is just like, people with glasses probably are on average smarter. It's probably just really simple. Glasses equals smart. The midwit move is to question that. But obviously not everyone with glasses is smart. But you get that in your head. You associate certain things with intelligence. You associate certain interests with intelligence. When really it's just kind of like a, it's some people are really good at learning certain systems. Like when I was talking about writing, like some people are really good at learning the rules of the English language. They're not really good at doing anything with it. They're just really good at learning those rules. That's what science is like as well. Cause I mean, writing is a science, you know, they don't think of it that way. They think of it as, you know, language arts. I mean, it's very scientific. And like for people who do writing, like as somebody writes myself, it's, it's like doing math for me. 
like you can look back at what you're writing and it's like looking at an equation where like an equation where you look back and you're like something isn't right about this paragraph something isn't right about this sentence and you just like you change a couple letters or you change the order of something and all of a sudden the whole thing is working like a machine like i'll notice this with a like there'll just be a single paragraph and something is not right about it there's nothing obviously wrong like there's no typo there's no mistake but just something about the flow of a paragraph just isn't working it's almost like you're putting like as you're reading this is going to sound really pretentious but like as you're reading the paragraph it's as if like something is entering the machine and there's a conveyor belt and then it just stops somewhere or it hits like some sort of bump and makes a clunking noise and then it continues on and you go in and you just you change the order of a couple words or something that simple you change it like a little bit of in a sentence and all of a sudden like when you run that thing through the machine it just goes through smoothly and perfectly and it's kind of like an equation too where it's like there's an answer to this paragraph and i just have to put the right numbers in it it's it's almost algebra in its own way but certain people feel i don't feel that way about math like i've never felt that way about math but um english is is kind of a science unto itself and the reason why language has developed the way it has the reason why we punctuate things the way we do the, why we phrase things the way we do and you know put commas here or dashes here or use a colon for this a semicolon for that you know the reason we do that is because like over a long period of time we've had to discover like what are the most effective ways of phrasing things what are the most effective ways of phrasing complex thought and what kind of consensus can we come to around this like think about all of the work that had to go into like the rules of the english language which of course have changed and evolved and everything but just the amount of thought the amount of speaking that had to inform that it's pretty incredible and so it wasn't arbitrary like you know language is very much a science and without it we have no science you know good luck doing any stem without language you know good luck trying to do anything with it um but uh where am i going here with this uh i guess just i don't know i don't, I don't know what i was going to say but just like you know some people like they say it, it's like saying you're into books like when somebody like puts in their tendril profile their tendril dating profile when they're like i like reading lots of books lots and lots of books i like reading lots and lots of books girls lots and lots of books girls um you know when someone says that it's like what they're trying to say is i'm smart I've, i went on that whole rant a while back about sapia sexual which only girls say only girls say that only women tend to say i like lots and lots of books oh i just love books it tends to be women who say that nothing wrong with it but you know what they're often communicating is i'm smart oh do you know i'm smart if you're into books you're into books books rule 
I love books. Have you heard of these things called books? Books, but they rule. I'm into books. But no, like some people, like on, on dating profiles, it's like, I'm into lots and lots. I hope you like books because I'm into lots and lots of books. And I'm sapiosexual. And when someone says they're sapiosexual, like obviously what they're saying is like, I'm a, because what that means is I'm attracted to intelligence. But what they're saying is like, I'm attracted to smart people because I'm smart. When someone says they're sapiosexual, what they're saying is like, I'm so smart that I'm only attracted to people who are smart. They're not saying I'm an idiot who loves smart people. I'm just a an idiot. I'm a low IQ idiot, and I just I got a I, I got a thing for smart people. I'm a low IQ idiot, but you know what really turns me on? High IQ people. I love smart people. Oh, I love them. You know, it's like <laughs> I love them. I just love them. But uh, you know. <laughs> It's just funny though, because like when someone says that I'm a I'm a sapiosexual, they're not saying I'm just dumb and I love smart people. It's like they're saying smart person seeking other smart person. I'm just a single smart person seeking another smart person. That's what they're saying, and, and you almost want to crack them. You almost just want to give them a crack. Just give them a crack to the face. Shake it off. You're missing out on true love. Because you don't actually care if the person you're dating is smart. Like these, these people who say that, they're worried about themselves being seen as smart. They'd be fine with dating an idiot if they just like let life, you know, go the way it should. If they just let God take control of the, of the aircraft, they could end up with an idiot and find true love because it wouldn't be based on books. Wouldn't be based on that. But they're, they're so terrified of other people finding out that they have average intelligence that they come up with these bizarre explanations for their own sexuality, which is like, I'm just a sapiosexual. I'm just a sapiosexual, sapiosexual. You know, they come up with these elaborate explanations, these lies. I mean, that's a lie. That's why I don't like it. Like, I remember seeing that on OkCupid 10 years ago. Like, okay, Cupid, 10 years ago, you'd see some girl's dating profile and she'd be like, I'm a sapiosexual. I had to look it up. First time I ever saw it was on okay, Cupid. I had to look up what a sapiosexual was and it was like someone who's attracted to intelligence. Hey, what are you doing, man? Don't bite me. She bit my ribs, which he's never done. He's trying to burrow in his blanket, but I think he thought I was trying to bug him. But hey, man, I'm just talking here. But I first saw, yeah, sapiosexual on OkCupid, and I had to look it up, and it was like, I'm attracted to intelligence. I was like, Jesus, you kidding me? You have to say that? You just really want other people to think you're smart. You're not even attracted to intelligence. You just really want other people to think that you're smart. And uh, I don't know. And I mean, like, it, it's so, it's, it's just such a weird, it's a lie. I mean, it, it's, it, you're lying. When you say that, you're being deceptive. It's an explanation. Um, and I don't know. I, mean, I don't know why that's more attractive to women. I mean, I think women tend to kind of separate, 
you know, yeah, people like like women can be superficial and stuff, but I think women have an easier time kind of like making a distinction between what they're physically attracted to and mentally attracted to. I think men have a harder time making that distinction. I think they definitely do. Uh, but for women, I don't think they do. So like, even though that's kind of a lie, like I'm attracted to smart people. I think women can be more attracted to personality and things like that. But there's a difference between being attracted to certain types of personalities and being attracted to people based on their intelligence. Because when you say that, you're communicating, oh, I know how to gauge intelligence. I know how to perceive that this person is smart. The reason I'm, I'm so perceptive in that regard is because I'm smart. Do you know I'm smart? Along with like paying attention to how many people are offering explanations all the time, just pay attention to how many people are finding different ways to say, I'm smart. Did you know I'm smart? You know I'm smart? I'm smart. I'm smart. You're dumb. I'm smart. You're dumb. I'm smart. You're dumb. I'm smart. I'm smart. You're dumb. You're dumb. You're dumb. I'm smart. I'm smart. I'm smart. I'm smart. You're dumb. So much of what people are saying is that. And it is that nasally. When you strip away the decoration and everything, what you hear is just this little nasally whimper. There's this weird little nasally sound coming out of human beings. What's interesting is you even see it online. Because this is where you see a lot of this behavior is like comment sections, social media, or a lot of it's this. And when you strip away the words being said, what's going through that machine is just a little nasally whimper. I'm smart. Did you know I'm smart? I'm smart. You're dumb. You're smart. It's just this this whimper. And it, it, it becomes amplified when their ego is in danger. When their understanding of things, when, when the understanding that they thought they had of the way things worked, when that's threatened, that whimper becomes amplified. It becomes like a, a siren, like a whistle. More like a whistle than a siren, a steam whistle. That whimper gets amplified into sounding like a big old steam whistle when it feels threatened. And we live in a time with the information being the way it is where people feel threatened all the time. They feel very, very threatened. They feel like they're about to be revealed at any given moment, especially people who are engaged People who are engaged, they feel like they're about to be revealed. Because the, re the reality is we're all fallen. We're all to some degree imposters. Not fake. But, you know, we all, you know, have to do things a certain way just to get by. But I think people are, are having this constant feeling like I'm about to get exposed for, a, for being a fraud. I'm about to get exposed for being an idiot. I'm about to get exposed for being an idiot, so I got to lash out first. That's kind of what they're doing. It's like, at any given moment, I could get exposed as an idiot. And so I've got to try to expose other people as idiots first. I've got to show people that I'm smart. I've got to show people that I deserve to, to you know, have my, uh, my spot at the table. But what you actually hear when you get around all the explanations is just this frustrated, impotent whimper.
It's the frustrated, impotent whimper of the midwit. And it's no coincidence those people are so unhappy. Because I think there's no better place to be than right in the middle of the spectrum. Like, I, I love having average intelligence. This isn't me trying to, I'm not, there's no angle to this. Like, I love it. Like, it seems like the perfect, it sounds like, it's like the sweet spot. Like, I'm not dumb, but I'm not smart, so I can just kind of rest here and, like, I can get things if I care about them. I can understand some things if I care about them. And I like to challenge myself. It, 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 there's a lot to challenge yourself about. Like if when you're a, when you're a midwit, like <laughs> you know, it, what's great about it is like there's all sorts of stuff to challenge yourself with because you don't know everything, and you're not so dumb that you can't pass the challenge. So it's like, oh, there's there's a whole way of uh, thinking about this. And as a midwit, like I'm gonna try to explain my way to the top of the mountain, but I can just kind of stroll there. I can just kind of stroll to the top of the mountain and describe my surroundings as I go. Take it from me, you know, being a midwit isn't a bad thing. What's bad about it is how frustrated people are about it. They're like incels. They're not incels, but they're like incels. They're like mental incels. They want nothing more than to be smart. They want nothing more than to have their intelligence acknowledged. I don't know why they feel so deprived of that. I don't know why they feel so entitled to being called smart or thought of as smart. Maybe part of it's just like the way our education system is structured, but it's not just education. Because we see that like even anti-education people who are like, just drop out of school and become a billionaire. Drop out of school and hitchhike for a year and write a best-selling novel. Drop out of school and start a band and uh, everyone will, like, care about your opinions. You know, so it's not just the educational system being like, oh, yeah, the smart people who get good grades are more valuable. We see where, like, the same sort of mentality plays out in the counterculture, too, where it's like, if school doesn't work for you, dude, just drop out and you'll be smarter than the, the people who got straight A's. Just drop out of school and you'll be the next billionaire. You'll be the the iconoclast who changes the world. You'll be the guy that you know everybody else listens to. Just drop out of school because you, you know, the real gene, the real genies, don't belong in school. The guys who are going to make a real difference, they don't belong in school. They they start the next Fortune five hundred company in their basement, eating potato chips. Drop out of school. So it's like, it's still all based around this idea that like being smart is the be all end all. Smart people are great. I'm not anti-smart. I'm just saying like, if you're not smart, why try to be that? That's a different breed of person. And and of course, like, we all have our things that we are, I mean, that's like the, the, the main thing in all this is like, everybody has their thing that they're good at. Everyone has their thing they're passionate about. Like there are people of average intelligence who are smart in very specific ways. There are dumb people who are smart in very specific ways. I mean, that's like, that's the classic trope of, of idiots where it's like, oh yeah, this guy's a savant at one thing. This guy can fix an automobile engine like nobody else. He can't read or write or form a coherent sentence. 
but put him under a car and, you know, he'll have the baby running like new in a second. You know, it's like everybody has their skill set. Everybody has their area of knowledge. Everybody has that thing they're good at. So that's another part of this. But I don't know what it is that, you know, structured things this way. But it's gone off the rails to the point where, like, we have these certain things that are, like, the realm of the smart people. But because everybody knows those things exist in the realm of the smart people, the people of average intelligence are like, oh, if I, if I am into those things, I'm smart too. But you can smell them right away. You can tell right away if somebody's saying anything of substance. That's what I notice more, you know, like I said, I have this little, it's like my version of cutting. In addition to making stupid jokes, my version of cutting my arms like a angsty teenager is reading the comment sections online and not getting mad at them, just being like, I want to see what somebody took the time to say about a certain thing, just to see it. I don't want to react to it. The spell isn't going to work on me. I'm not going to get mad, hopefully. I just want to see what somebody says. And so often you'll see these comments. I mean, the best place to go is the Reddit abyss. Like a true crime. Like the only place to read about true crime anymore is uh, the Reddit abyss. And you'll see the comments on there and you're just like, that person is saying nothing. They, they think they're a little junior Nancy Drew in this world where everything's like a movie house cause and effect. And they're saying absolutely nothing. It's ethereal. And so pay attention. Like, what's ethereal? What's ethereal? Now pay attention to what somebody's saying. Is this ethereal? Is there anything I can actually hang on to here? It could be philosophical. It could be abstract. It could be, you know, it doesn't have to be based on like some practical mundane thing. But is there anything you can hang on to here? Or is this just ethereal crap? We've seen the direction academia has gone in. We can see what artists do when they, they make a statement about their work. We can see what the midwit does. The midwit's continually offering ethereal nothings. Thinking they can trick you, but it's just apparent. You know, it's just, it's obvious <laughs> you know, it's obvious that there's nothing there. Same thing with these comments. Like, look at the comments sections. How often does something have actual substance to it? And if it has no substance, what is that person even trying to do? That's a good question. Like, when someone says something that's completely ethereal and has no real substance, what are they trying to do? Well, it's more about trying to make you think something. It's more about it trying to give a certain impression than it is actually communicating an idea or information. And that's what an explanation is. An explanation is often more about like trying to give you a certain impression than it is simply describing what happened or what something is. And explanations are the are it's the way of the midwit. Look for it. Watch for it. But once you notice that, it's just so overwhelming. And there's nothing more blissful, there's nothing more peaceful than simply having average intelligence and accepting that. It's a sweet spot. It's a good place to be. 
Why should you ever avoid that? It's like being middle class. If you can be comfortably middle class, why would you ever want anything less or more than that? But like being middle class, people of average intelligence cling to these other things. They want people to think they're smarter or dumber than they are sometimes. People who are middle class want people to think they're richer or poorer than they are. Some of them are very uncomfortable in their own skin just being middle class. They're chameleons. That's what people of average intelligence are like. They're chameleons. Oh, if I say this or I give this, this effect, if I give this impression, people will think I'm this. But when you look closely, you can always see their damn shape. You know, they might, you know, know how to, you know, act like a chameleon. But, you know, you look close enough, you, all, you always see their actual shape. And you're like, oh, yeah, you're not that actual thing. You're just really uncomfortable. You're really insecure. You don't feel like your, you know, perspective has been properly acknowledged. So you have to, like, pretend to be smart in order to get that. You're like a baby. You're just like a baby. Except babies don't explain shit. The nice thing about a baby is they don't know how to explain anything yet. So maybe you're not like a baby. Not you. But yeah, that's all I got here. I think a lot of the... <laughs> I think a lot of the problems we're dealing with come not from dumb people or smart people. I think it's just people of average intelligence thrashing, just thrashing around. This land is mine God gave this land to me This brave, this golden land to me And when the morning sun Reveals her hills and plains I see a land where children can run free.